dives in for the touchdown. Did he get it? Yes, sure he did. Touchdown to Detroit Lions. You're listening to the One Pridecast. Hello and welcome to a post-draft edition of the One Pridecast. I'm your host, Tori Petri. The virtual draft was a wild ride this last weekend, but we had so much fun covering it. Hopefully you guys had fun having a little bit of a dose of sports in your life, but you know, there's still stuff to talk about even though the draft is over. So let's break down this Lions draft class. I figured that there was no better person to do this with me than someone uh, who I know very well, and I'm going to introduce you guys to him. He is the senior draft analyst at the draft network Trevor Sigma he and I went to Florida together and he has just really uh, busted onto this draft scene and really knows his stuff what they're doing over at the draft network is so cool Trevor I love I love everything that you guys are doing there is such an awesome wealth of resources if fans are looking to hear about draft stuff I'm sure you guys are even starting to cover the 2021 draft at this point now now that the uh, 2020 draft has ended so thank you for hopping on here with me yeah, of course, Tori. Appreciate the kind words there. It's always great to connect and talk some football with you. Yeah, I chatted with you on your podcast before the draft. We talked about uh, the NFL draft, and I would just like to point out, we did a little mock draft with other uh, reporters who cover different teams. And who did I pick at number three for the Lions? You picked Jeffrey Akuda at number three overall. <laughs> I did, I did, but I did say that I thought that they were going to trade, um, which I think a lot of people thought, but it just sounded like uh, from Bob Quinn's perspective that that offer was never on the table. What did you make of that whole situation? Yeah, so I I was like everybody else. I thought that the Lions were really looking to move back, and that's because when you looked at their needs, and certainly corner, linebacker, some help on the defensive line as well, there were a handful of prospects that they could have picked in the first round and, and been pretty happy. Jeffrey Akuda is certainly one of them. I thought Isaiah Simmons from Clemson was another. And then you could have gone with Derek Brown and Javon Kinlaw even as four potential picks that I really do think the Detroit Lions would have loved to come away with in the first round. So with that thinking, they're sitting there at number three, and they've got to think, okay, well, if we can move back but not too far, we can kind of have our cake and eat it too here with one of these four guys. And as we saw, you know, Simmons didn't go until eight. Derek Brown went seven, and Kinlaw didn't even go until number 14. So the Lions could have moved back, but you never know that at the time. You never know exactly how it's going to fall and, and how it's going to come to play out. So I actually think that they really did make the right call staying at number three. They were probably looking for a trade price that was relatively close to what a number three overall draft pick has been traded for in the past. The problem was there really wasn't the quarterback market to drive up that price, right? If Miami and, and Los Angeles were really fighting for Tua Tungo Bailoa or Justin Herbert, and obviously it ended up being Tua who goes first, then I think that could have drum up some interest for them to move to number five and six and still felt comfortable with getting one of those big four guys that they were really into. So when that price tag wasn't exactly what they thought it would be, then moving back down as opposed to taking the best player that you wanted there, which ended up being Jeffrey Akuda, I think at that point it doesn't become to your advantage. And I really do think that the Lions made the right choice taking Akuda, even though it was at number three overall, replacing Darius Slay, such an important cornerstone part of what they do, having that shutdown corner there. And so with that in mind, I do think that they made the right pick, although I was surprised that they didn't move back. 
Yeah, I agree. And I thought that if they did move back, they would still target a player like Okuda. But you can't force an offer to be there if if it just isn't there. And and Bob Quinn, of course, said that it wasn't. <laughs> My favorite uh, critique of of this pick of Jeff Okuda was people saying, well, that's how I'll, you just picked who all the mock drafts wanted you to pick. But that makes me laugh because that's the point of the mock drafts is to try and get it accurate. And I'm <laughs> sure as someone who, who puts out mock drafts that you would think the same. Yeah, no, it's it's funny when people kind of go after that. And, you know, I even said on my podcast after round one of the drafts, I went, hey, this first round was kind of boring. You know, it was. There were not a single trade that was in the top 12. And so a lot of this kind of went chalk to what we thought it was going to be. In fact, I went back and I looked at a couple of mock drafts that we did over at the Draft Network, specifically one that my colleague Jordan Reed wrote, and his 5.0 mock draft, the one at the end of January, had 13 matches correct wow. when it came to what was picked on uh, on draft night on Thursday night. So it's kind of crazy to think about that. But, you know, when you think about not having pro days and not having uh, the, the gathering of information and just the exchanging of ideas, these guys kind of settled in on the prospects that they really liked early on in the process. And they became the guys that they picked. And I think that a lot of teams got a lot better. So even though it wasn't the chaos that we might have thought that it was, I still think a lot of teams really made the right choice. And and Detroit was absolutely one of them. I mean, yeah, it's hilarious that we think of a draft as predictable or boring when the mock drafts just get it right. But really, that speaks to the the strength of the mock drafts and and the work that you guys are doing over at the Draft Network to get so much of it right. And and that really is cool to see how far these things have come along. And I think that that was an underrated part of, of this draft was just how well some of the mock drafts were able to predict what happened even if it felt maybe a little bit boring in the first round Um, but there's certainly more to talk about than the first round I want to get your perspective before we dive into some of these individual picks on just kind of the Lions draft class overall obviously we've talked about Jeff Okuda but there's seven rounds of the draft they take a running back in the second round they they bolster their offensive line they get two offensive guards in rounds three and four they take Julian Aquara um, you know an edge rusher there which was a position of need what did you make of the overall draft class yeah so just looking at it from a theme and kind of an overall hall perspective I thought the Lions did really well Uh, I think that people can kind of nitpick oh maybe I would rather have this guy earlier this position addressed but going into the draft I would have told you that cornerback an edge pass rusher some interior offensive line help and then either some interior defensive help as well as maybe some running back reassurance those were the main needs, yeah. and they hit on all of them with pretty high of, uh, of draft capital, especially going rounds one through four. And so when I look at this class on paper, I, I got to say that the Lions did a great job addressing what they needed to address. You know, sometimes drafts don't always fall the way that you want to. Sometimes you have to adjust a little bit. But I really do think that even though we were all kind of thrown off a little bit with the DeAndre Swift pick at the top of the second round, and we can get into that in a little bit more detail, but when that pick happened, it was kind of a shock to people. Now that I'm looking at it, that the draft is over, it makes sense. It all came together, I think, in a way that really helped the Lions. So in terms of an overall outlook on paper, I did think that they did a really good job not only addressing their needs, but addressing their needs right around the areas that they would have needed to to get the talent to infuse into this roster where it would help them the best. 
Well, let's dive into that DeAndre Swift pick because I think that one did surprise a few people a little bit. I mean, even though you thought, okay, they could take a running back in this draft class, maybe not in the second round, was maybe that wasn't a position that we all thought would be addressed in the second round. But DeAndre Swift, in, in a lot of analysts' eyes, was one of the top running backs, if not the top running back in this draft class. He doesn't go in the first round. He's sitting there when you're there at number three. Uh, what do you think of them taking him? Yeah, so it's interesting, right? Because you heard DeAndre Swift's name, you saw it flash across the screen and go, wait, they got Kerryon Johnson. And Kerryon Johnson, when he's been on the field, has been awesome. And I know I'm not telling Lions fans anything that they don't already know, but Kerryon Johnson started a total of 14 games over the last two years. And when it comes to the running back position, when you're injured early, that's not a great sign. I mean, it, it is a position that takes so much punishment. And I think that Lions fans can also admit that there was definitely an infusing of energy when Carrion was doing his thing and he was really helping out this offense. So when you take him off the field and you don't have some kind of suitable replacement, that hurts. That hurts your overall outlook of what they're trying to do. So Swift, I think that, yeah, might have been a little bit higher of a price than Lions fans thought that they were going to get a running back at, but I think it actually goes back to the mock draft point that we were talking about previously. I think a lot of Lions fans thought that they could get a really quality running back probably one of the tail end of these top five guys that we looked at at the beginning of the draft in the third round with their third round pick. That didn't end up happening, right? I mean, DeAndre Swift, Jonathan Taylor, J.K. Dobbins, even Cam Akers, along with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, they were all off the board by the time the the Lions picked in the third round. So if they would have skipped out on Swift, which Swift, the reason why he's such a great pick for for the Lions, and even at this range, is because how he impacts the passing game as a pass catcher, as a pass protector. So even if Kerryon Johnson is RB1 for this team while he's healthy, Swift can still be a compliment to him. And then if Kerryon happens to go down, you've got a guy that you can still really, really rely on. And if you didn't have that there, you weren't getting that in the third round, and you probably weren't getting that anywhere else, at least not the confidence level you would with a player like Swift. And so, yeah, I, I, I hear everybody, and they definitely have – Uh, They definitely have a point when it comes to RB value and picking that as high as they did. But for the Lions in their current situation, for them to really have a comfortable sense of being okay with who was in that running back room, whether Carrion was or wasn't healthy, which he hasn't been able to be for a full year over his first two years of his career, the swift pick made sense because you just weren't going to get a running back that was going to be able to give you that peace of mind later in the draft. Yeah, that's a fantastic point. So for fans who aren't as familiar with Swift's work, how is what he does as a running back different than what maybe Carrion does? Yeah, so he's really going to be able to complement everything that's going on in the passing game. And and that's such an alluring part of what he brings and and why he was RB1 for a lot of teams around the league. We were learning that. Uh, Obviously, he wasn't for the Chiefs because he ended up being the second running back taken uh, as the Chiefs ended up taking Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. But these are two guys that I had my one and two running backs on my board because, okay, maybe they're not the bell cow type feature backs that maybe Jonathan Taylor or J.K. Dobbins are. But what they bring as complements to the passing game and to the more valuable part of offense overall, which is just the focusing on what you can do throwing the football, that's the reason why you pick those guys early. And honestly, for Swift in Detroit, I, w- I was saying there before, he can hold value as an RB2 and an RB1 because while Carrion is in there, he can still come in and be a third down back, be a relief player, be a guy that you put in 
on long passing situations. But then if Carrion happens to go down, you can also lean on this guy a little more, and I still think that he can develop into a good runner as well as a good pass catcher and pass protector. So he's a good pick for the Lions uh, objectively, I guess in a vacuum. Right now that he's on the team, maybe you can you can sit here and argue value all you want, but now that he is on the team, what he can do well and the purpose that he serves for the Lions I think is really nice for what they're setting up to do. Well, they wouldn't have been able to get a running back uh, in in that kind of top tier in the third round, but they were able to get a pass rusher who was kind of talked about as someone who wouldn't go in the first round, but who could really contribute to a team. They pick up uh, Julian Aquara, who is the brother of a defensive lineman already on the team, Romeo Aquara. So aside from that being a fun storyline of having two brothers on the team, what do you feel like Julian adds to the Lions pass rush, which really needed some help? Yeah, that is a cool story, and I really like that pick, uh, if nothing else but for that. But there is something else to like. And going into the season in 2019, I had Aquara as one of my top five edge rushers during wow. summer scouting uh, last year. And it's because you saw a lot of really nice flashes from him in 2018. Now, he didn't quite put it all together in a dominating performance the way that you would want, but he's got speed, he's got length, he's got bend. And I think he showed at the combine that he's got more strength than people give him credit for. He can hold up, I think, against a run pretty well when he's got his hands in the right spots and, and when he's really focused in on it. He can still set the edge a little bit for him. But make no mistake, this is a pass rusher pick. They're going to try to get the most of him as a pass rusher, specifically off the edge, which is something I think that Detroit has really been missing. Mm-hmm. There's a reason why Aquara lasted until the third round, right? He's not a finished product. They've still got to get more out of him, and they've got to allow those flashes to become more consistent for him to becoming a starter on this team. But I think the potential is there. And I think the getting to work uh, with a good defensive line and getting to work with a good defensive line that that, uh, that exists in Detroit, it's going to be good for them. So certainly a little bit of a projection there, but all the tools, if you will, from what you would want out of a third-round kind of pass rusher make Aquara a good pick when it comes to value late in this draft. Well, while we're on the topic of the defensive line, they did add some depth pieces to their defensive line later on on day three in round six and seven. They take John Pinassini out of Utah, uh, you know, and then they take Jay Sean Cornell on the defensive line as well, another Ohio State player. Uh, what do you think of those two guys? Can you tell us something, uh, you know, that fans who don't follow the draft quite as closely as you guys do uh, about those day three guys? Yeah, so day three picks, especially those six or seven picks, they're always kind of tough to make the roster, right? I mean, they're almost kind of, I don't even want to say flip of the coin, but it's it's a long haul for those guys to really start to be contributors. But I will say this, at least about uh, John Penasini, when I was at the East-West Shrine game, there were a handful of of, of Utah guys there and just Pac-12 guys there, and I was asking them, uh, and and I asked them at the Combine as well, who is somebody that, if, if you could bring a teammate onto the same team with you at Utah or a guy that you just really like or somebody that you think is going under the radar. A couple of them said John Penasini, I think. Interesting. And I was super surprised about that. Uh, you know, he's he's a guy who definitely has that anchor ability to him. Uh, he's a big, strong Utah interior defensive lineman. And so I'm not sure what the roster chance of those guys is going to be, but when you get praise from your, your teammates and even your opponents like that, I think that it's important to take notice. And so uh, I'll at least throw that out there as a little bit that I know about some late ground guys. Show your Lions pride by going authentic with gear from shop.detroitlions.com. For a vast selection of T-shirts, hats, jerseys, and novelties with convenient flat rate shipping right to your doorstep, visit shop.detroitlions.com. 
your 24-7 home for Lions gear. So you mentioned offensive guard, the the interior of that offensive line as a position of need going into this draft. I think a lot of people could agree on that, letting Graham Glasgow go in free agency and then the rotation that we saw there at the offensive guard position this last season didn't have a consistent five out there every down, uh, you know, for for the duration of the season. So they they bring in two guys in uh, the on the offensive line, Jonah Jackson and Logan Stenberg. What do you think those two guys bring to this offensive offensive line do you think that they have a uh, caliber to to maybe be able to start this next year yeah I think that they have the potential to uh I, I think that anytime you're drafting an Ohio State offensive lineman you're getting a guy who knows what he's doing and, and I think that there's a reason why Jackson fell uh into the third round and that's because you know he's not as natural of an athlete as you would want but he can really hold up i think at the point of attack and then when it comes to sternberg this guy has an attitude when playing offensive line and anytime you have that interior player i think you're you're looking for a guy that's a little bit of spit and vinegar right you're looking for a little bit of <laughs> i like that uh i remember i was at the belt bowl when kentucky was playing against virginia tech and logan sternberg was jawing at the Virginia Tech players after every single play. And, okay, he got a couple of unfortunate conduct penalties, and you don't want that. But you want a guy who's not afraid of the competition, not afraid to get in their face. You know, it's a dogfight in there in the trenches. You know, you got to have some attitude with it. And I don't think Sternberg's ever going to be short of attitude. He's going to be a guy that's going to fire the rest of the offensive lineup. And I think he's the kind of player that the rest of the offensive line around him, and offense in general, wants on their team he just he's a guy who's going to fight for his teammates um he's going to fight against the other teams certainly but you just hope that he can he can get the discipline under control so it's not as many penalties right but you do love the attitude you love that about what he brings to the interior offensive line because i do think that that's really important and i think that he has the game to match it again it's just about being more disciplined in what he does yeah, that was something that stuck out to me talking to him on the conference call after he was drafted. I mean, that was the first question they asked, what's what's the strength of your game? And he said, my attitude. I'm just a nasty player and, you know, went on to describe that. But then someone asked him about another former Kentucky offensive lineman who went on to play in Detroit, Larry Warford, and he called him Mr. Warford. So it was so funny seeing him talk about the nastiness <laughs> and then go on to be very polite and call someone who's not really that much older than him, Mr. Warford. Uh, I got a good laugh out of that so it, it is nice to see you know these guys talk about their their personalities on and off the field because they can often be often be so different so that did stick out to me about Logan Stenberg now you get into round five the Lions take a couple of offensive weapons in Quintez Cephas and Jason Huntley at the running back position what stuck out to me about Cephas was that that was a guy that Jeff Okuda said was the toughest wide receiver he faced in college. And then the Lions uh, draft him as his teammate there in round five. So what stuck out to you about Cephas on tape? Yeah, not just Jeff Okuda, but Damon Arnett also said that. Uh, fellow Ohio State corner, they both yeah. said the same answer when it came to who was the toughest wide receiver they guarded uh, this past season. And so Cephas, you like his tape, and I really did like his tape when I was watching him. I thought that he could be a mid-round pick, probably a third or fourth-round pick, and then he has a really puzzling time at the combine. I believe it was like a 4-7-3, and it's just 
what do you do with that? As a wide receiver running a four seven three, that's that's just almost undraftable, unplayable. But then you pop in his tape and you realize he ain't that slow, right? I mean, okay, so he's not the fastest, most explosive player. He struggles a little bit with separation, but he's a good wide receiver. He just knows how to come down with the ball and Look, I know that Wisconsin is not necessarily built around the passing attack. We know everything that Wisconsin does is built around their ground game. But Quintez Cephas had almost 1,000 yards receiving, and the next closest guy to him on the team had less than half of his receiving yards. He had seven receiving touchdowns on the team. The next closest guy, other than Jonathan Taylor, the running back, had two. So there is something to a guy absolutely dominating the market share of a team the way that Quintez Cephas did, even on a team that bases what they do on the ground rather than through the air. And so I really like Quintez Cephas' tape. I liked it, obviously, enough to uh, say that, hey, I'm just going to throw out what, what I saw at the combine. That was just a bad day mm. for him. I don't want to believe too much into it. Yes, it kind of proved that he's not going to be the best natural separator when it comes to speed and agility, but that's okay. I think that you see a lot of really great stuff, and he just understands how to play the receiver position really well. And so maybe he won't be a super takeover receiver, but I think as a three or a fourth option on the team, he'll be able to bring some plus value as a depth player. I think one of the more surprising picks to me was picking up another running back there in round five with Jason Huntley. Did that one surprise you a little bit after going with DeAndre Swift in the second round to, to add another running yeah. back? It, yes and no, right? I mean, it, it surprised me that they invested two draft picks into the running back room. But now that you think about it, right, if they thought so highly to get running back help enough to draft one in the second round, why not also get another one on day three, right? So they're, sure. they're infusing another another player into that room. And he's, he's, more of a, uh, he's more of a scat back. He's more of a change of pace guy. He's kind of a depth player, right? And so he's not exactly going to compete for a starting job uh, with the likes of Johnson or Swift. But I think that what they wanted to do here is they just wanted to get faster. They wanted to get more explosive in the room. And I think that's why you saw that pick here. I think that, when you look at the draft class and all said and done, it's pretty crazy and, and not that common to have three players out of one college end up on the same NFL team. I mean, you had three pick players picked out of Ohio State to join the Lions. I mean, I mean, you follow the draft every year and, and for every single team, and we focus more so on Detroit, but that, that has to be kind of unique. Yeah, outside of the Las Vegas Raiders, who seem to have – playing for Clemson as a prerequisite <laughs> right. to them getting drafted there. Uh, it is it is pretty, I guess I'll say uncommon, but you see this a lot, right? I mean, it's the coaching tree, right? You know, you look at yeah. Matt Patricia and his coaching tree is Bill Belichick, and Bill Belichick has worked so much with Urban Meyer, and he probably knows that Ohio State program really, really well. Probably has a lot of connections in there from looking past at his coaching tree. And you want winners, right? You want guys who – Sure, there are plenty of guys who succeed from these non-national championship programs, but when you play for an Ohio State, when you play for a Clemson, when you play for an Alabama, it's in your mindset. It is just what you do to compete for championships, to play at a level, to practice at a level, to go about your business like you are competing for a championship year-round. And that's just what it's like at those programs because you know this. If you lose one game in college football, that could be it. That yeah. could be your season. Your championship could be out the window. And so there is no days off for these guys. And I think that taking these kinds of players with that kind of mentality, it makes sense. But it makes even more sense when you look at the coaching tree connection that Matt Patricia has. 
All right, big picture draft across the whole board. What move surprised you the most? Maybe something around the NFC North that surprised you? Oh, man. Uh, the, <laughs> the biggest one is, is, without a doubt, the Packers taking Jordan yeah. Love. Um, look, I, I understand fundamentally what they're doing. You know, they had that quarterback uh, predecessor connection once with, with Favre to Rodgers, but, man, this is a tough bet for them, you know, because you can say that the situations in the timelines are similar, but Rodgers is on the cap for the Green Bay Packers, about $40 million this year and about $30 million next year. So you know he's not going anywhere for at least the next two years. And then if you get into that third year, you go, okay, well, it's not so bad after that. It's still $17 million of dead cap. Right. So would you really be wanting to move on from a guy while you have $17 million of dead cap in you? And then so if it's after the third year, then all of a sudden you get into the fourth-year contract with Jordan Love and he hasn't even played a snap yet. So it is a – I understand what they're doing. I get it because if it pays off for them, it would pay off huge. But, man, a first-round pick here, especially knowing that Rodgers has been begging for some offensive weapons, yeah, that one was probably a tough one to swallow for a lot of backers, man. Uh, not for Lions fans, though. I think they didn't mind the no. thought of <laughs> of maybe Aaron <laughs> Rodgers being on his way out the door. Yeah, they uh, look. I'm sure Lions fans are saying, "Hey, draft another one next year." So whatever pushes Aaron <laughs> Rodgers off the most and gets him out of the door, like you just said, there they're probably all for. Exactly, Trevor. Thank you so much for hopping on the One Pride Cast and providing your draft insight. I love what you guys are doing at the Draft Net- Network. Uh, tell people where they can find you, where they can listen to your podcast, and how they can follow along with your work. Yeah, of course. Uh, again, I really appreciate you having me on if you guys want to uh talk more draft here after the draft the locked on nfl draft podcast is where you can hear a lot of my thoughts on not just the lions but everybody around the nfl and then of course the draftnetwork.com you were on to something there when you introed it before we've already turned the page and we're allowing people to look towards the 2021 nfl draft but more importantly just the guys that will be playing in this 2020 college football season you get to know them a little bit better and see who you should have your eyes on going throughout this season and then into the next NFL draft. But, um, Tori, always great connecting with you. Appreciate you having me on. I love it. You do great work. Thanks so much, Trevor.